Hello and welcome to the Illumination Cinema Movie Podcast with your hosts, Tyler W. Moore and David Wayne Young. We should we should come in like we're laughing. <laughs> yes, welcome to the Illumination Cinema Movie Podcast. Did we sell that laugh? Uh, I'm Tyler. And I'm David Wayne Young. And today we are talking about three films by legendary director David Lynch. He's another David. What are those three films, David? Those three films are Eraserhead. Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive. Correct. So, shall we? I guess, I mean, we can talk about David Lynch a little bit uh, before we get into these we three can. movies. Yeah. I've, like, I've been, I've, I've danced around David Lynch a lot. Uh, I've seen him in things. Um, I've appreciated uh, listening to him talk about his movies. I've seen very sure. few of his movies, and the 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 only thing I'd really seen up until this point was twin peaks so oh okay uh-huh i hadn't really i hadn't watched any of these three um how about you i'm just about as initiated as you um i'm a dune freak so i made the point of seeing the uh his butchering of that particular yeah uh, the bad fiction one. yeah yeah <laughs> yes um, the 1984 one that we won't speak of again after this. Um, but, uh, I did know, um, just out of conversations that I've had that, um, uh, my wife actually loves David Lynch. And so, um, you know, this, this was kind of like a, a vicarious, exciting thing for her, um, to kind of glean from me what my reactions to these movies were. So, yeah, I, I think that that encapsulates my experience more than uh more than a casual familiarity with David Lynch as a director. So let's go ahead and get into Eraserhead. Um the first let's. feature that he made and probably one uh, like probably like the most identifiable. Oh boy. <laughs> so, um should we is the, like <sighs> Do do we summarize Eraserhead? Are we capable of summarizing Eraserhead? <laughs> it's, you know, that that's a good question. I'll I'll start by saying um, I knew nothing of it going in, um, other than the name and you know, obviously like its attachment to him. Yeah, yeah. like you know, it, it, anything that I've ever heard about Eraserhead, I don't remember other than the name. You know what I mean? Like it had no significance or meaning to me. It's it's in and that so, discussion of like important movies, weird movies, like you know. Yeah. I knew that there was some kind of strange little creature in it, um, which we will definitely get to. Um, it might Boy, be better to we? like either you know about Eraserhead or you really don't, because I, I realized as I was watching, I was like, I don't know anything about this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of surprises. Uh, the atmosphere in this movie is thick and fascinating. Um, thick, dark, and like, fascinating, I would say. Yes. Like, from the beginning, we just kind of get into this... <laughs> like, 
you know, like we spend probably the first 10 minutes just kind of walking around hearing low hum, like various low hums. Orbiting a weird planet. Yeah. Yeah. Like seeing the surroundings of the world in which this strange little man lives. Um, and it becomes evident very fast that uh, what we're trying to capture here is a nightmare. This feels sure. like this. This has like the flow of a dream, um, which in, in which is so funny because well, it's funny that you use the word nightmare in particular and not mm-hmm. just dream because you know I I've been thinking of it as a dream. You know the yeah. movie it encapsulates a, a lot of dreamlike qualities regardless of you know, the tone, but nightmare I think is more apt and it's more surprising given the fact that literally the first scene, when you come back to it and like, think about it, it's about an orgasm. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so shocking that you can put the words nightmare and orgasm together in that particular (laughs) context. Realizing as I saw these like, I thought it was his brainstem, you know, that was yeah. like superimposed over him yeah. for a little bit. And then I see these little sperm things getting stomped on later. And I'm like, I know what this is. I know what that thing was. Got it. Potentially. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there Potentially. are, are it could have the, been the best thing. Honestly, <laughs> I'll say like one of my one of my favorite videos I've ever seen of David Lynch is someone like giving this very like it's a Q and A and this guy's giving this very long question saying like ba- trying to basically summarize to like you know I'm trying to guess the theme of your movie did I get it right uh, c- could you explain further and he just says no <laughs> <laughs> and is it is it this one one of the ones that's famously not been guessed like the full meaning of it or whatever. Um, you know, I think there's isn't, like, isn't there's a the few, there's a few ideas that, you know, he's never like confirmed, but you know, I, I feel like are kind of universally accepted. And I, I think the major one is like generally fear of fatherhood. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I would, I would lean more towards less fear of fatherhood, more like fear of like something being wrong something being wrong with the child um like in in one way or another just because like you know the character isn't necessarily you know he's like he's surprised at the fact that um like not only is he um suddenly a parent but um this child is already born um and right. then we we see the baby <laughs> and it is this strange little creature and here's what uh here's the only information uh David Lynch has offered up about the uh about the baby it was born nearby and maybe it was found <laughs> so in other words it's not hers at all (laughs) (laughs) that as far as the prop goes so i don't know (laughs) right 
And you, you, you have to take oh, that with a grain of salt because it could obviously also be a joke. Um, but sure. just him avoiding answering what this thing is. People have theories that it's like some sort of like embalmed calf, um, which makes uh, sense. Okay. But it definitely looks uh, or has the look of one. I can see the yeah. calf like head. Yeah, I can see that. It's just whatever it's it so, is. <laughs> it's so strange. Whatever it is, he has a baby now. <laughs> he does have a baby now. Um, yeah. No. So you say fear of fatherhood, and I I can see that. Um, and I, I guess my instinct, obviously yours, was to say you know the fear of something being wrong with the child, and my instinct was to like assume that because we're in this dreamlike state the the fact that the baby's uh, the baby looks fucked up is simply because it's such a grotesque new state that he would be in as a father but you know that's that's like the first thing that like i imagined out of it it's like it's not actually a gross baby it's just a baby <laughs> yeah that's kind of what i was teetering on for a little bit too um, as like, as it went on, like there's a, there's a specific scene where, um, you know, I think it starts coughing and then like, he like steps away for like a second and then it's like covered in sores and sweating and like, you know, breathing heavily and he goes, Oh, you are sick. <laughs> yeah. Like Which, that scene was like, okay, that th- like there's a, <laughs> yeah, I know there's so many like great line reads in here. Um, the scene where it's revealed that he uh, uh, is now a father. Uh, he's like at uh, his girlfriend's parents' house. And the dad is just so nonchalant about the whole thing. Um, he like <laughs> he jabs a fork into this um, like miniature chicken. chicken. Uh, yeah. And it just starts oozing out some kind of disgusting black goo. Um and then they're telling him about it, and he just goes, "Dinner's getting mighty cold." <laughs> <laughs> and then what about the mom, the crazy freaking mom? The 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 mom was like drooling over the chicken. Yeah, weirdly drooling over the chicken, and like runs out of the room, and obviously that upset the daughter. And then the other thing was. When the mom is trying to get information out of Henry, and that's his name, right? Henry? The protagonist? Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. He is, so she's trying to get information out of him, and she, like, starts necking him. That's right. I totally, I, like, blocked I, I, that I, out. <laughs> I kept thinking, <laughs> you know what I bet David Lynch did is what would a normal person do? And then he does the exact opposite thing in every single one of these scenes. Yes. It's disturbing. It's just like, it's just this very awkward off-putting. Yeah, like, just, like, ever so slightly off-kilter. Like, wait, this isn't normal. What's going on? Like, yep. but this delivers it in a very subtle way to where, it, like, it, and, and for that reason digs a little deeper until it gets very much so less subtle. 
<laughs> right. The baby's our first like step the towards and the that. And then obviously, yeah, the lady in the radiator. Um, <laughs> her little song. <laughs> About heaven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And how everything is fine. Oh, this. Okay. So I just have to be upfront. And I kind of alluded to this in a conversation we had before, but I hate art film. <laughs> I hate I hate art film. I do. And I've tried. I've I've tried to be the person who's like, yeah, wow, this is interesting. I fucking hate it, dude. So yeah. this to me is an art film. And it has some narrative in it. It is yeah. not a narrative film. And I think that in itself is disconcerting for someone like me who, like normies, appreciates, you know, the structure and structure. well-placed. Yeah. To me, this is an example of what makes a good art film is that there's like some semblance of like you can take something away from it. I don't like when someone sure. – because like everyone use like I make movies where, you know – I'm trying to capture a feeling in certain scenes, like where there's like a more surrealist moment and that's what you're going for. Everybody uses that as an excuse for why they made a pile of dog shit that is completely unwatchable, Um, which is certainly not what this movie is. It's about moments, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Because like, no, I mean like I'm constantly like racking my brain as a filmmaker, like to like, I'm like, how the fuck? Do I sit down and try to make someone feel the way I feel when I think about this? And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think this is a good example of of trying to capture that. Um, But I don't know. You might feel differently. I like I'm not going like this certainly isn't a 10 out of 10 for me. Um we can get come no, back but around. I can to that. appreciate the style that comes into this because you know, like I said, first of all, there's there's a narrative. Mm-hmm. There is a narrative. It's not a narrative film, in my opinion, because I think it is, in fact, an art film first. Yes, but I would agree. You know, I, I I think that although I am uncomfortable with art film in general, and although this m- movie made me uncomfortable, and I did not enjoy it. I do think that there was skill involved in portraying, like you said, those moments, those themes, those feelings that are meant to be communicated. And I think he did a good job of communicating the general discomfort that if it is about fatherhood in in particular, which we can't confirm, fatherhood is uncomfortable. We know this from people who have lived the dream. Like, you know, I mean... You know, they may love their kids, but it's not a comfortable job. Like, I don't want to... Because I, I certainly wouldn't pigeonhole you in this box. Um, I've noticed something recently. And I'm... Sure. Like, we're... Uh, when we were talking about art films earlier, I I also brought up the, the fact that I might be a little bit pretentious. And I, I'm certainly going to probably sound that way uh, talking about this. But, like... I feel like people of our generation and younger, like, there's a little bit of... They dislike intellectualism in art. And I, I like, I don't know... I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it or... Uh, I feel like if, if something challenges you, it's, like, a lot of people 
like will will we'll kind of make fun of it for doing that. I I think I think that's true of me in some media, but not all. And I think that's maybe true of a lot of people. With you, I would I would definitely say like music. You definitely don't like something that's going to try to challenge you. <laughs> um, yes, that's correct. Uh, we've had many a conversation about that. I like what I like. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's totally fair. I feel like like even like a Stanley Kubrick movie or you know something like that. A lot of people will kind of just like scoff at it for like they think it's like full of itself. Whereas you know right. there are plenty of movies that are with with David Lynch. And what I've yeah. seen of him now, right? Like, let's let's just address it with the palette that I've been given now. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I don't find it try hard. I don't find it in any way, you know, this overbearing intellectualism. Mm-hmm. Instead, I, I just don't like being that uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know... Um, it, it it's shown in the way that I experienced Eraserhead versus the way I experienced um, the other two films, I think. Okay. Um, you know, because I, I do have different reactions to each of these. I do also think that, you know, there are things that Lynch does that I would call indulgent and things that I wouldn't really say are. Yeah. You know, I think that he appreciates symbolism. And I don't think it's indulgently so, but I do think his pacing is very indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you look at Eraserhead. Most certainly. I can I can definitely agree with everything you just said there. And it's like, this will come down to, like, if you can, if you can appreciate what, he, what he's doing, it will come down to, like, did you like this one in particular or not? And... Right. Just to kind of summarize, because, I mean, there's not a whole lot to, like, say about the content of Eraserhead, just because, like, you know, even, like you said, it's very slowly paced. Very few things happen in the movie. Um, but right. that's not, that's also not a knock for me. Um, I'm going to give it seven Jamies. Like, I feel like okay. I was fulfilled in watching it. Um, but I don't see myself watching it again uh, or at least not more than once or twice. I think for myself, emotionally, um, you know, I, I obviously I was just a little bit off put, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I hated the film. Um, I wouldn't rewatch it again. Yeah. Um, not, not unless it was for, you know, another podcast, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I would say um, I'm between five and six Jamie's, you know, because like it's 5. just 5. not my 5? cup of tea. Yeah, let's call it a 5.5 because it's just not my cup of tea. That doesn't mean it wasn't well done. And I'm not going to give it below a five because obviously he did what he was trying to do. I, in my opinion, you know, based on what I guess his motives were. And again, we can't confirm it. So Right. Um. It's also, like, it's funny that you say, <laughs> I don't know if I'll keep this in. It's funny that you say, like, you don't like the idea of being uncom- made uncomfortable by a movie. Uh, but also, you watch, you love Nathan for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, well, like, okay, it's so tickling a completely different fancy, but, <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. 
discomfort for comedy elates me. I fucking love it. But discomfort for, um, you know, like you called it, intellectualism, I don't really care for it. I I think I'd love to prod at something without um, seeing old ladies drool. (laughs) It's just, like, I can't. I'm sorry. (laughs) And with that, I guess we should move on to the next. Let's move on to Blue Velvet. This, I think, was my uh, was my favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will say before we get into these two movies, so we always planned on talking about Eraserhead. That was on the schedule uh, from right. the beginning. Um, right. The other two movies we planned to talk about were um, Wild at Heart and Lost Highway. Um, neither of those are available to watch anywhere we could Which have bought so strange we could have bought you know dvds or whatever but we'd have to get two because there's we're in two very different places so um i chose two that would be um easily accessible uh like the only other options like elephant man would have been fine uh but i was kind of looking for sure. something that was more of like an original um and then Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I'm like, well, I don't think David's seen any of Twin Peaks, so. Um, right. And we were not going to watch that 1984 movie. Oh, movie. and we certainly were not going to watch Dune. Yes. Um, yeah. Blue Velvet. Um, what would you summarize Blue Velvet as, David? Blue Velvet is a crime thriller, um, kind of like a... almost a a sleuth film in a way um you know this this kid uh gets in bad with a i mean she's a lounge singer cabaret singer type deal yes um who i mean she herself is in a unique situation with a um i can't tell what he does but i mean he's very clearly a criminal like almost crime he's not a drug lord yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's like he, he, he does he something horrible dealing. for money. Uh, he's okay, and he's also a sadist. Yeah, he's f- fucking crazy. So, yeah, <laughs> Isabella Rossellini is is under the thumb of a freaking crazy like drug sex maniac. Um, this kid uh, gets in bad with her um, and realizes he's way in o- over his head. Um, and proceeds to continue his newfound relationship with her, only to find that that puts him, uh, you know, in the arms of said crime boss person. Um, you know, it's it's very good. Like I, you know, yeah. it's it's the kind of thing I go for. <laughs> like, it was definitely my I, favorite of the three as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It's like I. I I still get this like bizarreness, you know, that David Lynch apparently likes to shoot for, Um, (laughs) you know, like there's still absurdity in this one, but it's a touch here, a touch there. Um, You know, this crime boss, for example, is obsessed with these oldies and quotes them while he's threatening people. Yes. um, Which is very fun. Um, (laughs) And you know what? I'll, I'll just I'll I'll let you jump in. Um, 
I, I liked it stylistically. Yeah, no, I definitely did. Um, you know, the, the pacing was still felt here, but not nearly as much. Right. So we're introduced to Dennis Hopper's character, Frank, our, our, our crime Lord. And, uh, as this demented sex scene plays, um, I just wanted to take this moment to say that I knew nothing about this movie before going in. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I was fascinated. I was fascinated as all of this was happening, uh, because he's like reverting to a baby, uh, and, uh, like hitting some kind of like gas the entire movie it's it's so strange but it's so like i mean i think fascinating is the right word uh (laughs) yeah no i i would agree with that and you know because we're now that you mentioned the mask i just want to say the mask is that singular prop that really keeps grounding you in the fact that you're watching a david lynch movie Yes. Again, you know, like I, I think he shoots for something based on these three movies alone. I, I think he shoots for something that's gonna like make you think, "Oh, what the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> and that that mask is the oh, what the fuck that keeps popping up. Apparently, it was originally. I don't remember what it like it ended up being. But I know originally it was supposed to be helium that he was inhaling. And the thought of his voice <laughs> heightening as all of this goes down is so fucking crazy to me. Um, I can't. But, and so. That okay, would be insane. So, <laughs> so we're following this. So like Kyle MacLachlan uh, finds an Thank ear um, in the mid, like, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he brings it into the police, you know, not a whole lot's going on with that investigation. He meets, uh, the, uh, the officer he speaks to, he meets his daughter, Laura Dern. And she's like, I, 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 I think I've got a lead here. So he goes to this lounge singer's house. He breaks in, uh, he's hiding in her closet. Um, like she discovers freak. him. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, like she starts undressing and everything and he's, you know, he's, he's here for it now. Like he has to, right. um, so, but then she, uh, she becomes a little interested in him. Um, right. And then we get our weird scene with Frank, uh, and then he comes back out and like, we just, we spark this relationship with the character, with, uh, with the lamp singer and, the whole time, I just keep thinking, yeah, uh, the ear, though? <laughs> I know. Um, like, I, I just, like, you're forming this relationship. We've kind of totally lost the ear. Um, meanwhile, he's balancing a relationship with Laura Dern as well. Uh, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it starts off weirdly. Like, it's not a relationship until it is, you know? Yes. Like... Well, she, like, like, makes it very clear, like, we're not, yeah. Yeah, don't worry, we're not anything. Like, she's trying to convince her friends that Mike shouldn't worry and this and that. Mike being her boyfriend. Yeah. um, Her actual boyfriend at the time. And then, then I don't know, somewhere it just 
he becomes interested. Yep. Like <laughs> it's like he's learned how to put on the moves, and now. <laughs> well, I, I think what it's it's doing because you see this happen, like you said, first between Isabella Rossellini and himself, and then with him and Laura Dern, is this. I don't know how else to put it except that uh, trauma breeds intimacy. And you see that multiple times, yeah, right? Very possibly, you know, especially like, in the scene where um, where he learns to uh, let go of his inhibitions and give in to a woman's kink. Um, <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, you know, did it have to be a kink? You know? No, but... I mean, based on what she's been through, right? And the things right. that she's had to, like, give up. I mean, she's giving up her husband and her kid almost completely, just hanging on by a thread. And the only thing I think that can link her back to it, literally, is what she used to do with her husband. Yeah. Because she's calling him Don the whole time. Yes, yes. Every time they're intimate, he she calls him Don, which is the husband's name. So I, I think that that is, I mean... While it's not a main theme, I think that is a theme that's trying to be explored several times. Agreed. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's a lot of, because the lounge singer is very interesting as a character um, because, like, she is, like, the, the trauma has set in so much, like, her grasp on reality is, you know, like, tenuous at best. Like, um right you know like yeah she does call him dawn like there's all of these you know she she's constantly saying all these weird things to him uh <laughs> he put his disease in me Your like, disease oh. in, yeah uh-huh yep that would be the standout if it weren't for everything frank says <laughs> um because oh, all these like the, where he finds him and like they're taking him on a joy ride and everything uh my favorite moment of the film, uh, and I wish more villains would do this. He's got a couple of guys holding Kyle McLaughlin, and uh, he just goes, "Here, feel feel my muscles." <laughs> like, and they literally bring his hands over so that he can feel his muscles. Um, you know, just some of the reinterpretations of the oldies by Frank are just so fascinating. Um, and yeah. we'll use that word again, because why not? Frank's talking about sending a love letter straight from his heart. He's like, do you know what that is? It's a bullet from a gun. And it's like, why would anyone think that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he very clearly like has taken all of these songs. like Because he has like, you know, he had the... Um... What was it? The 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 clown one? The Yeah, the, the candy uh, colored clown man. Candy colored clown, yeah. Um like he has a guy perform it for him. Like it's so strange. Yep. like uh, he very clearly like has these have meaning to him uh that <laughs> no one else shares. And so we hear like, you know, three or four songs that kind of like go through as motifs throughout this entire movie. I, I like how it all comes together. I think, you know, this is probably, of the three, like, the strongest um, one, two, three-act structure. You know, it, it comes together 
uh, in a satisfying way. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I like this one. Yeah. And, you know, for all the crazy things that happen in it, you know, I'm a sucker for a happy ending when it's well earned. And it yes. was. So, you know, I think it's great that it ended the way it did. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with a heart wrenching story, you know, but this it, it ended well. They did. I mean, he did a great job putting it together, you know, putting together all the broken pieces to make a whole picture. Yeah. Kyle Laura and uh, Happy Gilmore's grandma see the Robins that she was talking about at the end. It's great. <laughs> I, I could never eat a bug. <laughs> I could never eat a bug. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. I mean, like, it's a very simple story. Off the wall characters. It all adds up to work. And I'm going to give it, um, I'm going to give it 7.8 Jamie's. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I would give it an 8.5. Okay. 8.5 Jamie's. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, nice. Didn't expect to. After after Eraserhead? <laughs> yeah, after Eraserhead especially. Let's move on to Mulholland Drive, shall we? Yes, let's. Actually, I will start with the beginning, because I wanted to ask you what your favorite part about the opening was. Uh, was it the bad green screen? The bad green screen was the very first thing I noticed, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, that was a choice. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, it sure, it sure was. I'm thoroughly glad that it wasn't a full part of the story. Like that yeah. just wasn't. I was like, oh no, is this okay? All right, here we go. And then it actually becomes a movie, and I was like, okay, yeah. all right, I I can get into this. You know what? Also, wasn't a part of the story was Robert Forster. Um. I got very excited to see him, and then uh, I had to later on uh, with that note write "never mind" because he never shows up again. <laughs> yeah, this was it was very weird in the way it handled its characters, and obviously you find out at the end there was a reason for it. But yes, yes. But early on, of course, like you said, you're getting invested in certain characters, certain scenes. They either don't continue or they completely skip forward. Yeah. Sometimes like, they skip back. Yeah, because there's <laughs> there's one scene that I kept thinking of uh, where they meet in the, um, what was it, Winkies? It was like the Denny's yeah. uh, uh, stand-in. Um, there's the guy. Winkies Sunset Boulevard. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we meet this guy there and he's like talking about this dream he had. Um, and that all plays out. And then we don't see him for the rest of the movie until the ending. And I just kept thinking, right. what does this have to do with it? Because, like, I don't know if you know this. I um, I already had, but I did a little bit more reading about it. Um, this was originally, there was like an hour and a half long pilot for a TV show. Um, like, basically like a follow-up to Twin Peaks. Um, and this, like the movie, the final product has nothing to do with Twin Peaks, but like, um, I guess it was originally supposed to be a spinoff. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but like they shot an hour and a half long pilot, um, and in 99 and then in 2001, uh, did like, I guess like about another hour or so. Um, and this is the result of that. Like the other one was open-ended obviously, 
uh, probably didn't have any of the stuff that was in like, you know, the ending, but, um, I'm kind of wondering how that would have played, uh, because I like read a little bit about yeah. what wasn't there. Um, obviously some stuff, there was no way it could have been in there because it was for like, I think ABC. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was, I thought about that through a lot of it, but the pacing in this one for me was the worst. It was a slog. It definitely was. It was a um, major slog. <laughs> uh, I do have to say I liked it more than Eraserhead because it was less of an art film. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that said, you know, I think I think I could appreciate uh, the main thing I appreciate about this film is the um, is the emotional communication that goes on in it, right? Like. You know, you were talking earlier about, you know, your goal as a filmmaker often is to communicate a specific feeling about a specific scenario. And I think that that happens in this film often and well done. Like, you know, um, for example, the paranoia that continually mounts around Adam as a character, the director who... You know he's he's being forced into all these situations, uh, it, yeah. Re- you know regarding his casting decision, that was interesting because you know of course like normally when you're being pigeonholed into casting, first of all it's not the mob doing it, which is pretty much what it feels like right here. But um, second of all, <laughs> you know it's not this eerie "am I gonna die" kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah, there's like this very except like, that it is. <laughs> they, they do this very strange thing like throughout the beginning of the movie, like where basically like this studio head is like is treated like a god that they're doing the bidding of, and it's so yeah. it's like that was very interesting to me, and I almost wish like that was the entire movie, but like that scene where they decide like yeah, like where they tell him like you're gonna fucking smile this and nod your head when yeah uh-huh. like the, yeah that whole this is the girl thing like the uh, they deliver a line where he says the, uh like oh she's not going to be in my film and they say it's no longer your film i was like this, this is some pent up anger <laughs> and i'm enjoying right. that <laughs> yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy cuz like so i i did do some reading about this one after cuz i was like okay what did I just watch? A lot of it like started to make sense at the very, very end, as you know. But for me, I needed a little bit more guidance, so I went in. And so you described this studio exec as a god, right? Yeah. Like, that's how it's portrayed almost. And it's funny because the thing that I was reading, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, but the thing that I was reading was basically suggesting that the whole, the whole setup regarding that director's decision and the the forcedness of these like mob people kind of like coercing him that was all um that was all like basically supporting the dream that um Diane is having about why she was rejected as the lead for this role and i'm like holy shit that makes sense because 
you know, when you're internalizing this stuff, it seems so much bigger. And, like, especially if you're trying to make yourself feel better about decisions made by people you've never met. Yeah. Like, I can totally see a failed actress seeing a studio exec executive in, like, this godlike position, you know? Yeah. It's, It's a superimposed, like narrative almost of its own it's definitely like it's yeah it's beyond reality like it, it it's it's mm-hmm. a surrealist version of like how a lot of people either picture how the movie industry works or how it feels like the movie industry works um so i can definitely right. i i can i can see their point on that one for sure um i think my favorite part about the whole um about I have I have two things I really like about the director's story. Um, one where he just whips out a golf club and smashes the shit out of one of the guy's cars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently that's based on something Jack Nicholson did. Then there's another part where he goes home and he finds out uh, his wife is cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he's so calm. Uh, he's probably, he's probably upset, Lorraine. Right. <laughs> I, I, I love that Of course scene. he takes the jewelry and pours paint all over. I was like, oh, he's stealing the jewelry, which is like what most people would think. Yeah. I thought he was going to like put it in the oven or something. Like, I was like, I don't think that would heat up fast enough, buddy. Yeah. I love that he put paint on it. Another great scene. Uh, we have someone go in. Uh, he's he's uh, he's 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 taking a guy out, right? Um, so he shoots yeah. the guy, and he's gonna make it look like a suicide, but he accidentally shoots a lady. Yeah, and then he so then he has to fight the lady. Then he shoots the lady, and then he shoots the uh, the janitor. Then he shoots the vacuum, and that sets off an alarm. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Perfect scene. Yeah, I I, I was excited to see Mark. Pellegrino of all people. I'm like, I recognize that face. Um, I want to talk about the relationship because it starts okay. off on a very weird foot. So yep. Betty is, um, she's staying at her aunt's place uh, while, while she's away so she can pursue her dreams of being an actress. And she walks in right. and finds uh, who is going by Rita um, yep. in the shower. And normally... When you walk in on someone in the shower or just, you know, nude, uh, you look away. Right. <laughs> but instead, she's just staring at her. Uh, I mean, like, you know, she's obscured by the shower door. But I just thought the, I just thought it was so strange that she's just having a casual conversation with her after walking in on her this way. Um, right. But uh, then, you know. She's trying to help her out because Rita can't remember anything um, because she's been in a car accident, which we saw at the beginning of the film. Um, that we did. And then, you know, the first hour of this movie, not a lot happens. Or kind of like the middle hour, I suppose, because it feels like we're... In like it feels like we don't get to the second act for a very long time. Um, yeah, it's about setting up. I think uh, a lot of 
tension and expectations. You know, like the the thing with Adam happens in the first act. The director, um, yeah, you know they they give him this ultimatum. Doesn't come to anything, obviously, for a little bit, but you know that's where it starts. And the same thing with uh, Naomi Watts and um, or uh, Betty and Rita is like there's an expectation there that Betty's going to help her somehow. She doesn't know how. Yeah. And Rita's not going to the police. That we know. So it's like all of a sudden this this woman hunt is coming is coming up out of the woodwork and everyone is watching what Adam's about to do. Um which is all very interesting, but like you said it it does become a little longer than it should it feels like yeah it because it's an hour and a half of setup because it's the pilot of a tv show that then suddenly has to take a major turn so that it can resolve what would have probably taken a season of television to resolve very suddenly right so the structure of this movie is is kind of fucked um it only kind it of does yeah it 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 doesn't some interesting things <laughs> i like what it i like the conclusion but at the same time it's incredibly unsatisfying because they just don't have this would have needed to be a 3 hour long or more movie in order to make this work but unfortunately they're kind of just working with what they already had and then tagging some stuff on. And you can feel when things are tagged on. Yeah. Um, I'll say one of the densest moments for me, and literally the reason why I decided to look things up, um, was the box, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, because here I am thinking that, uh, you know, that they're like, going to deal with something that has to do with her memory coming back, Rita's memory. And then they go to a play, an impromptu play, um, in the middle of the night, like 4 a.m. Yeah. Um, and then they find a box in Betty's purse, or Rita's purse, one of them has a purse where they find a box, and they take it home, open it, and... uh everything becomes uh <laughs> i i won't say resolve but it starts to resolve yeah everything starts to very rapidly resolve we, uh, after we that get a conclusion yeah we'll call the, it a conclusion the 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 movie suddenly concludes um yes this this uh, impromptu thing they go to where they spend the entire the entirety of it saying this is a tape it's a tape. It's not real. It is a tape. Like, right. was, is that the, is that supposed to be impressive? <laughs> There's no band. There's we no band. band. It's a tape. This is a tape. This is all, <laughs> this is all pre-recorded. I'm like, what is, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so yeah, we flash back to Diane. It's Betty, but <laughs> she's got a new yeah. name. <laughs> I started wondering, okay, is the movie getting good again? Um, and it would have had this happened maybe halfway through. Right. Because then like, then you could have explored because if you want to leave it kind of like 
oh, th this very strange... I also, like, had a hard time grappling with, is this actually her? Like, because there are so many women who look exactly the same in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, they didn't do a great job of differentiating. <laughs> well, because there's, there's one character who has, like, very similar hair or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Or, like, like it, it's slightly different. Um, there's, yeah. Again, like, you know, I would have just liked to just state the, the effects of it. And, like, we don't have to, like, have her suddenly, you know, know everything or, you know like ha have it become a whole thing like they could just you know theoretically live happily ever after or you know whatever but right it's just there it it the way they do it leaves more questions than answers and not in a good way yeah i i think yeah one of the one of the feelings I felt once Diane kills herself at the end. Um, and for anyone listening, the reason she does that, of course, is because she actually did hire an assassin to get rid of our Rita character, who she was actually in love with. Um, <laughs> that's a twist for you. Um, she, she kills herself at the end. And I yeah. felt relief. I felt like, oh... Oh, okay. Thank, thank God, because there's just too much going on, and it, you know, of course, I think part of that is, you know, uh, the the size of the emotional palette. You're like, no one can be experiencing all these things at once. No one should be experiencing all these things at once. Of course, she was. Yeah. You know, part of it is a dream, and part of it is, you know, her coming to grips with real life. And in the throes of that, she literally winds up killing herself. It definitely threw me for a loop because I couldn't decide. There were moments where I couldn't decide what was real and what wasn't. Um, and that ne that wasn't yeah. necessarily that like big of a problem. But there were like, there were threads I was trying to like follow. And I didn't like the story enough to like follow through on that <laughs> that i think that was the issue right. that i was having yeah i'm like okay i, I think until like, the... again it's one of those it's one of those things where like like i said earlier you know it's it was it was a story that was challenge like it was presenting a challenge for me and i just wasn't interested in the challenge <laughs> right. i think that's what it ended yeah, up that, coming down that's part to. of it yeah and I would argue that I think maybe anybody doesn't want to do a challenge in which they're not invested. So, yeah. you know, I would say it's, it's not even just a byproduct of generation, but yeah, know, this is, this is separate. This we, is separate. We haven't. Oh, I know. But yeah, it just reminded me of this idea. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I think you have to give us a reason to be invested in order to overcome that challenge. I think it would have been more interesting as a series. Like we would have had time sure. to flesh this all out and then, you know, but then again, <laughs> going back to Twin Peaks once again, uh, 
that one didn't get to resolve itself and therefore has a very poopy second season. Um, I haven't watched the, th- the third one that they did more recently. I, I need to uh, because hopefully that'll make up for it. But I, I uh, it, it ruined the whole thing for me. <laughs> anyway, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I there's a good movie in here. Um, this seems like it's a fan favorite. Like, this seems to be very highly ranked. Um, and I can't say I understand why. Right. So, for me, I'm going to give it 5.8 Jamie's. Like, not bad, but also not particularly great. Yeah. Um, this one, I, I would give uh, a 6. 6 Jamie's. Um, you know, because, again... Eraserhead was my least favorite, but this, it didn't exceed expectations. It was better because there was more narrative, yeah. you know, that I could follow and appreciate. But once again, you know, we're, we're not getting <laughs> the satisfaction that you should be getting, I think, from a narrative film. Well, just especially from like a movie where there's a mystery, you know? Um, yeah, maybe if you yep, toss a that. strange little alien baby creature in here, like <laughs> <laughs> maybe I you would have what? been a every little bit happier. Every movie is better know? with an alien. Yeah. Every movie is better with an alien baby. Um, that's what we know. I, th- this movie really made me wish that we could have seen wild at heart, Nicholas Cage and Willem Dafoe. I mean that, you know what? Right. Maybe that just that might just need to be a podcast by itself or something just so we have the chance. But then again, maybe we won't like it. Uh, <laughs> we run that risk. Maybe. Uh, um, I'll have to I watch it at some it. point. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So next month we're going to do our Halloween special, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think we're doing three silent horror movies. Uh, you, you and I, David. So, Uh, Stay tuned for that. But also, before that happens, if you're in Wichita or in the area, our new film, Personal History, is playing at the Tallgrass Film Festival. And you can catch Personal History at the Exploration Place Dome on October 2nd at 3 p.m. You can get tickets over on our website at illuminationcinema.com slash personalhistory. We'd love to see you there. And with that, do we... We should call it a we should call it a podcast. I think so. Thank you for listening to the Illumination Cinema Movie Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. For updates on this show and their other projects, get your parents' permission to go to IlluminationCinema.com.